Welcome. Here is this past Sunday's sermon from Grant Memorial Church. Good morning, church. Welcome to Grant Memorial. Today, my name is Cam, and I'm one of the pastors here. And if you can believe it, today is the last Sunday in our series studying the Gospel of Mark. That's the last time you're going to hear that introduction uh, in between our worship set and the message. Uh, For those of you uh, who are new to Grant, or for those of us who can't remember, Outside of a couple small pauses, we've been studying the Gospel of Mark weekly for a little over 17 months, or 525 days to be exact. Now, I know that that is a long time, and it has been a commitment for sure, but I believe that it's been an extremely fruitful exercise if we've witnessed Jesus' life and ministry in small enough chunks to really grapple with the things that Jesus did and said and to ponder meaningfully the nature of who Jesus is and what it is that he invites us into. I know for me personally, I've, been, uh, I've really enjoyed this journey. I've been significantly challenged and encouraged along the way. But as with everything else, all good things must come to an end. And so today we put a period at the end of this sentence. And to do that, I invite you to turn with me in your copy of the scriptures to Mark's final words. Now, just for context, I'm going to start with last week's passage. So let's begin uh, reading at Mark 16, starting at verse 1. Mark 16, starting at verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they might go anoint Jesus' body. Very early on, the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words that we have been studying, Lord, and the way that you lead us through them. Amen. Now, before we unpack Mark's final words, I know that some of you are wondering why we stopped where we did, right? Your Bibles, for those of you who are following along, have more verses, right? The Gospel of Mark goes to verse 20, so why did we stop at the end of verse 8? which is a great question with a reasonable answer. And to share this answer, I want to direct you back to your own Bibles. 
I, I anticipate that most, if not all of your Bibles, have a line or a break between verses 8 and 9. Is that true? Those of you who had your Bibles, is there a break between verse 8 and 9 in your Bibles? Yeah. And if there is any text or a footnote accompanying this break, what does it say? It likely says something to the effect of, the earliest manuscripts do not contain verses 9 to 20. Or verse 9 to 20 is contained only in later manuscripts. Or some of you may even have, uh, I believe if you have an NRSV Bible, you may have one ending entitled short ending and one entitled the long ending of Mark. And so what exactly are we looking at here? Right? And while this could itself be an entire message or seminar, let me try to briefly describe why we have this disparity at the end of Mark. You see, in short, it is almost unanimously agreed upon by historical and biblical scholars alike that verses 9 to 20 are not, in fact, original to the gospel of Mark but that this section is rather a later addition to the gospel by members of the early church, likely in the early second century. Now, there are several reasons for this conclusion, that these verses are not original. Uh, First of all, there is internal evidence in the sense that the language used in verses 9 to 20 is much different than the rest of the gospel. For example, in these uh, 11 verses alone, we find 15 words that Mark has not used once in the rest of the gospel, using, choosing to use different ways to express similar themes. In addition, this short section explains things and introduces characters in a way that assumes that the rest of Mark has not already done so, which implies that this is a, a standalone piece that has been added later. And that's not to mention that the style within which this section is written is not consistent with the literary style of the rest of Mark's gospel. It actually reads like a different author picked up the pen at verse 9. There's also external evidence to this as well. You see, a few of the earliest and most reliable manuscripts of the New Testament do not contain verses 9 through 20. And many of the early church fathers do not refer to this ending at all until close to the end of the second century. New Testament scholar James R. Edwards notes, The two oldest and most important manuscripts of the Bible, Codex Vaticanus and Codex Sinaiticus, omit 16.9 to 20, as do several early translations or versions, including the Old Latin, uh, the Sinaitic Syriac Manuscript, about 100 Armenian manuscripts, and the two oldest Georgian manuscripts. In addition, early church fathers Clement of Alexandria nor Origen shows any awareness of the existence of the longer ending, and Eusebius and Jerome attest that verses 9 through 20 were absent from the majority of Greek copies of Mark known to them. And so, for these reasons and a few others, this internal and external evidence, I'm in agreement with the overwhelming majority that Mark 16, 9 to 20 is not the original ending of the Gospel of Mark, which is why we stopped where we did. However, before we all go and tear this page out of our Bibles, right, or develop some sort of disdain for these verses as fraudulent, let me explain why they have been included in our Bibles 
when in most similar cases, any later editions would have been eliminated completely, right? Why do we still have this in our Bibles? If, if it's the majority opinion that this is not original, and we've even known that for almost two millennia, why are verse 9 and 20 still included in the Holy Scriptures? And I want to provide three quick reasons for this. The first reason is that there is a difference between originality and authenticity. Let me explain. Just because this section is not original does not mean that it is inauthentic. You see, while not the original, not John Mark's personal words, this particular section of Mark is nearly as old as the gospel itself which means that it is still authentically linked to the early church and possibly to even the apostles themselves as, as it was quite realistically circulating while some of them were still alive. This is not an edition made hundreds of years after the fact, but was rather an edition made relatively shortly after its release, which gives it an, an authority not much different than some of the other biblical literature written within the same communities and time frame. And so throughout the history of the church, it's been considered a reliable uh, source of information and a narrative that comes out of the authentic first century church and not some early diversion from it. Which brings us to the second reason this text has remained in our Bibles. The church for the past two millennia have almost unanimously accepted it as biblical canon. The early church fathers, starting from the late 2nd century, championed the long ending of Mark as scripture, referring to it as such, and taught it as the authoritative word of God along with the rest of Mark. Even the ones we read about a little bit earlier, uh, who acknowledged that it wasn't original from the pen of John Mark, they still opted to include it as authentically scripture, sometimes using the same type of disclaimers that we have in our Bibles, that while it may, may not be original, it is certainly still authoritative. So due to this, Mark 16, 9-20, was passed down as scripture for centuries and has been accepted as canon for almost, entirely, almost the entirety of the history of the church without question or without disclaimer. And nearly every copy and manuscript of the New Testament since the second century has included this ending. In fact, 99% of New Testament manuscripts copied over the years do contain Mark's longer ending, even though the earliest do not, meaning that verse 9 to 20 have been edifying and informing the church for at least, uh, since at least the early second century. And the third reason uh, that Mark 16, 9 to 20 continues to be included in the scriptures is that the text is entirely consistent with the rest of scripture. Right? Th this section does not introduce competing theology to the, to the general New Testament understanding of the resurrection of Jesus. And, and further, it is actually made up of accounts from other scriptural sources. Most specifically, the other Gospels and the book of Acts. You see, this section actually serves as a summary quoting the other Gospels and early church tradition. Let's read through verse 9 to 20 to see what I'm talking about. This is what verse 9 to 20 says. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. 
She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. Now this that we've just read is directly from John's account in John 20, verses 11 to 18. Continuing. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. We read about this in Luke 24, 11. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. This is a summary of Luke 24, 13 to 35. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Luke 24, 40 to 44. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Does that sound familiar? This is the great commission of Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. That's Acts 2.38. All these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. These are fulfilled in Acts 8.7, Acts 2.4-11, among others. They will pick up snakes with their hands, fulfilled in Acts 28.5 with Paul in Malta. And they will drink deadly poison. It will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Acts 9.12 among other places. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. The accounts of Luke 24.51 and Acts 1.2-22. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Pretty much a summary of the entire book of Acts. Do you see what I mean here? This text is literally a summary of the rest of the story as found in the other gospels and the account of the witness of the early church. You see, this isn't something new or different, but is a summary ending or continuation of the story about what happened after the women left the tomb in verse 8. And so since it is essentially almost exclusively quoting other scripture that was canonized, Mark's longer ending has been considered canon as well. And it has been deemed for two millennia appropriately to be truthful and faithful for study. I'm not sure if people are, are like tracking with me here and excited, as excited as I am about this stuff, but uh, hope, hopefully haven't bored people too much, but that's where we find ourselves uh, with this diversion here. Now, the question that we are still left with, though, and maybe this is where it gets a little bit more interesting, is why? Why did someone within the early church feel the need to add this summary to the end of the Gospel of Mark? Well, upon first glance... Verse 8 is not a very good ending, is it? Right? After all this buildup about Jesus being the Messiah, the Son of God, about him dying for the salvation of the world, about how he would rise again in three days after conquering death, it, adds, it ends simply with an empty tomb and three women who leave confused and afraid. Right? Listen to verse 8 again, the original ending of Mark. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. That's it? What a terrible way to end, right? Or at least that's what someone within the early church thought when they decided to share the rest of what happened and to fill in the blanks that Mark left empty. And this is understandable, right? Why, when you know more, when you have the whole story, miraculous events that prove everything you've been writing, would you choose not to tell it? 
Why would you keep secret the answer to all of the questions, the conclusion of the entire narrative? You see, these appearances of Christ had occurred way before Mark's gospel was written. Peter himself had personally met with the resurrected Christ. So why would he leave it out? Why would he not share about how he saw Jesus, especially when all three other Gospels specifically talk about Peter's encounter and interaction with Jesus? Was he meaning to write more, just didn't get around to it? Was the Gospel released too early? Is there an original ending that has been lost? Or could it be that there was a purpose for this seemingly incomplete and somewhat disappointing ending? Well, the best evidence points to this conclusion. So if this is what Peter and John Mark wanted to end with, what point were they making? And better yet, what are they inviting the reader into? And so while we've already concluded that while the longer ending is not original, it can still be fruitful and authoritative for personal and corporate study, our goal today is to sit in the ending that John Mark intended. And as we have been for nearly a year and a half, lean in to what Peter, through John Mark, has been communicating to his audience, of which we are included. And to do that, I, I want us to consider three reasons why Mark ends with this intentional hanging ending, or, or ponder three things that Mark's original ending accomplishes. And the first thing that Mark's ending does is it invites us to make a decision. It invites us to decide. You see, the unending or the unfinished ending of Mark forces us to ponder what will happen next. The question of what will these women do that remains unanswered invites us to put ourselves in their shoes. And through this ending, we must decide for ourselves who Jesus is rather than simply nod along as we watch others make the declaration for us. Right? As we, and, and this isn't something new, right? We see this literary technique all throughout the scriptures. The story of Jonah, for example, wraps up with no resolution, forcing us to consider for ourselves if God is right to have compassion for all people. Many stories that Jesus told are like this as well, like the story of the rich young ruler that we read about not too long ago in Mark 10. We're left with no answer about what the man in the story does, forcing us to fill in the blanks regarding ourselves. Is Jesus worth it to us to give up our idols to follow him? The parable of the prodigal son works the same way, with resolution for only one of the sons, but with an open ending still to be determined about the heart of the son who had stayed all along, inviting us to examine our own hearts along with him. The book of Acts, which doesn't tell us what happens to Paul and the others, leaves the story of the church wide open too, acknowledging that there's still much to be written by the next generations to come after. You see, what, what all of these open-ended narratives do is invites us, in a sense, to write our own endings when it comes to our own stories. You see, right from the beginning of the gospel, with his very first words, actually, Mark has been arguing 
that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, the Son of God. And he allows us to witness his life, his miracles, his teaching, his death, to help us make that decision for ourselves. And here, when we're faced with the empty tomb, comes the time for us to decide if Mark was right about Jesus. In the same way that the women are invited to believe and take the next step, so are we. Well, the other Gospels record how the women choose to respond. Right? They chose to believe and they provide witness to the empty tomb, which ultimately spawns the early church. But the jury is still out for us. As we discussed last week at our Easter service, we all need to answer the question for ourselves, what are we going to do with the empty tomb? And Mark leaves us facing that very question. Will we accept and believe that Jesus has risen and is therefore who he said he was? Will we allow this truth to shape our lives and will we go and tell the others as the angel told the women to do? What will be the ending of the story of Jesus of Nazareth if it is our lives that pick up the pen and keep writing? The ball is in our court. The next thing that this ending does is that it calls us to faith. This ending calls us to faith. If you recall the past 17 months, there's been a significant emphasis on faith all throughout the gospel. And while Jesus doesn't require anything from us aside from what he has done, it is faith, according to Mark, that allows us to accept it and to come and receive it from him. Now think back to what we've read over the past 16 chapters. It was an act of faith that led a man with leprosy to boldly approach Jesus to ask for healing in Mark 1. It was an act of faith that led some friends to lower a paralytic through a roof to receive healing and the forgiveness of sins in Mark 2. It was faith that Jesus looked for in the disciples while the storms raged on the Sea of Galilee in Mark 4 and then again in Mark 6. It was through acts of desperate faith that Jesus healed a dying young girl and a hemorrhaging woman in Mark 5. It was faith that Jesus honored in the life of a Syrophoenician woman in Mark 7, a poor widow in Mark 12, and a bold, grateful woman in Mark 14. It was faith that invited Jesus' power in the lives of a man both deaf and mute in Mark 7, a blind man at the pool in Mark 8, a desperate father in Mark 9, and a blind man on the road in Mark 10. It was through declarations of faith that Peter, Mark 8, and the centurion, Mark 15, announced that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, respectively. I could go on. But church, this is what Jesus honored and responded to over and over again in this gospel. The ones who placed their faith in Jesus even when the ending was still uncertain. You see, none of these people knew how Jesus would respond to them. None of these people knew the ending already. None of these people had seen the resurrected Jesus and yet they stepped forward in faith Anyways, and our ending in Mark 16, 8 invites us to do the same. 
to trust in Jesus and to live for him even when there are questions still to be answered, even when there's more to the story yet to be told, and to have faith in the risen one even before we have seen him with our own eyes. As Jesus himself says in John 20, 29, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Friends, Mark's gospel that highlights faith invites us to step out in faith, even when everything may not be tied up with a bow. Which is precisely the third reason I think Mark stops at verse 8 with a messy ending. Because life is messy. Right? Mark's ending meets us where we are. Mark's ending meets us where we are. You see, we don't need a fairy tale ending to this gospel because life is not a fairy tale. Following Jesus is not a fairy tale. We're Baptists, but I'm sure people want to shout amen at that moment, right? The scriptures speak about this quite clearly, that following Jesus is particularly hard. Matthew 16, 24, whoever wants to be Jesus' disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. Luke 10, 3, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. 1 Peter 2, 21, if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow Jesus, follow in his steps. James 1, 2 to 3, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Not if, but when, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. 2 Timothy 3, 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Following Jesus, church, is not a walk in the park. And life, really, for anyone, is not a walk in the park. And so Mark doesn't present a happily ever after type conclusion. Now, to be sure, the ultimate end is secure. And we will one day experience the greatest ending of all. In the meantime, the Christian journey is not easy. It is not tied up with a bow. It is unpredictable and messy, just like our ending in verse 8. Right? In verse 8, the women left their experience at the empty tomb without all of the answers, with some anxiety, with some uncertainty, even fearful. And Mark doesn't try to hide that fact or move on from it too quickly. That's okay, he suggests. It's a part of the journey. Friends, following Jesus is not about having all of the answers. It's not about having no fear, no doubt, no confusion, no questions. The Christian life is about choosing to believe and choosing to obey in spite of those things. Mark 16, 8 gives us permission to be confused sometimes. Isn't that nice? gives us permission to be unsure sometimes, as the women were, but it also gives us hope that we can still follow Jesus in the midst of uncertainty. In fact, that's precisely what faith is, isn't it? Taking steps of obedience when we are not certain exactly where those steps will lead us, but trusting that the one guiding us will not lead us astray. Church, we do not need to have it all together. 
We do not need to get it fully. We do not need to have it all figured out. We do not need to be perfect, to have perfect theology or a perfect track record or perfect faith. Thanks be to God that the ups and downs of the journey do not disqualify us from the gift of a risen Savior and all that that means for us. You see, the scriptures are unanimous in saying that today, while we are on this earth, we will not have every question answered. We will not be perfect. We will struggle to trust. We will face trials of many kinds. But the same scriptures promise that a day is coming if we follow in faith that we will see clearly that which is now dim. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now, we only see a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Friends, a day is coming because the tomb is empty, because Jesus is who Mark says he is, that we will no longer be confused, we will no longer be afraid, that every question mark will be replaced with an exclamation mark. And what an amazing day that will be. But in the meantime, we are invited into a Mark 16, 8 moment every single day. We are given the invitation daily to say yes, to step out in faith with what precious little we may have. We're invited to obey Christ without having every T crossed and I dotted. And that is the wonderful reassurance, church, that there is grace for the journey and there is hope in the destination. And that friends, is where the original ending of Mark leaves us with a question to answer. Who is this Jesus? With a, a calling to consider, to step out in faith and follow him. And with an encouragement to remember that while the road won't be easy, the destination will be more than worth it. As we step into eternal life in the kingdom of God, in the presence of, as we read in Mark's very first words, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Thanks for listening with us. For more information about our church or upcoming services and events, please visit us at grantmemorial.ca or on social media at at grantmemorialchurch.com.